This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a resource, an ebook called Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. That's kind of a mouthful, but there you go. Multiply Disciples draws wisdom from church history to look at several important disciple-making movements in history, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting in Asbury Theological Seminary, and his ebook is available for free, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Or you can click on the link in the show notes to find it quickly. Today we're featuring an episode from Impact Discipleship Ministries, and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called How to Make Movements of Multiplying Disciples. And the episode for today is called The Making of a Disciple Making Church, featuring Michael Keaton and Glenn Underhill. So uh, I've been in uh, full-time ministry for the last uh, 25 years. Uh, I've been in student ministry. I've been in, uh, I've done a little bit of teaching pastor, family pastor, and now I serve as the, uh, as the executive pastor at Crossroads Church, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about Crossroads and how all of this kind of came up, but this is my, my precious uh, partner and, and love of my life, my best friend, Don. Uh, we've been married 24 years, and then we have, uh, we have four kids together, and uh, I have two boys and, uh, and two girls. I like to say we went from energy to emotion, and uh, so we've been, been enjoying life together. Uh, our, our, my oldest boy, Luke, just left for college this year, and uh, he's studying uh, sports science, and then uh, my second son, Landon, he's a junior in high school, and then my two girls, uh, the one on the farthest right, that's Laney. Laney's a freshman in high school, and so I'm kind of walking through this whole new experience of guys, you know, wanting to uh, have interest in your daughter, so pray for me. Uh, actually, maybe you ought to pray for them. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then my youngest, uh, Lily, she's in the fifth grade, and uh, super, uh, super excited to have her. All my kids have uh, very similar hair color. She's the one with red hair. For some reason, she has red hair, and she's feisty and fun and brings a lot of life to our family. Uh, as I was saying, uh, we're with Crossroads Church. Uh, one of the unique things about uh, what Crossroads brings to a, a conference like this is that we're actually uh, trying to uh, be practitioners of being a disciple-making church. About 30 years ago, our senior pastor, Ken Adams, who's actually in Thailand uh, today, he's on his way to Thailand and be doing some disciple-making training with some pastors in Thailand and some church plants we're working with there, uh, started our church under this idea of really wanting to see a disciple-making church. What would it look like to pattern a church after the methods and models of Jesus Christ? And so he's, uh, he, we like to call our, our church at Crossroads a laboratory uh, of research and development. And probably what you'll hear a lot from us is what you shouldn't do versus what you, what you should do. Because uh, like I said, we're, we're just kind of always working it out, trying to figure it out. Uh, we, we, um, we like to say that we're super passionate about seeing a movement of multiplying disciples. Uh, and we swing as hard as we can to really see that become a reality where we are and uh, we pray hard for that and believe and trust that that's God's heart and his intention. And uh, so we're trying to constantly figure out what that looks like. So, uh, again, um, what we're going to just walk through today is this idea of what is a disciple-making church in the context of, of actually doing it as practitioners. Uh, we're going to give you some essentials that we've been learning along the way. Uh, and, and hopes that maybe that'll help you as you're trying to figure that out as, uh, as, as leaders. So um, 
Before I get started, here's what I'd love for you to do is I'd love for you to take just a couple seconds, introduce yourself or, or to those maybe around you, because I'm going to get us to do an exercise together to get us moving in the right direction, all right? So introduce yourself, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a video that I, wanna, I want us to work on together before we, we start. All right. So hopefully you had a chance to introduce yourself and uh, get to know each other. That's great. It's always good. One of the things that I love about conferences like this is not only the opportunity to... Uh, to be inspired and encouraged to uh, this idea of making G uh, disciples like Jesus did, but also the opportunity to network with other like-minded people. And uh, I, I hope that you'll walk away from a conference like this, finding some people maybe in your area or in kind of in the same uh, places that you are so that you can encourage one another. We, we encourage pastors a lot to find other like-minded pastors who are, who are doing this because it can get discouraging and, and hard and difficult. And uh, more than anything, sometimes we just need to be inspired. So I'm going to show a video here, and uh, it's, a, it's kind of a time-lapse video of a home being built. And after that video is over, I want you to kind of gather back in those groups you were just with, and I want you to talk about this idea. What, is, what are the similarities between building a house and building a church? All right, what are the similarities? So you watch this video, and uh, just tell me what you think. All right, so I want you to gather up. What are, what are some of the commonalities between building a home and, and building, building a ministry? What are some of those common points? What are those, some of those common things that you have? So gather up, get some people around you, and talk through. What, do you, what are some similarities you see? All right, so uh, let me uh, pull you back together here. You've had some time to talk. And uh, just looking around this room, I can see that there are some incredibly brilliant minds out there. Uh, Jesus calls uh, men with in, uh, and women with incredibly brilliant minds to lead his church. So I'd love to hear, what are some of the commonalities that you see in building a home and, and maybe in building a ministry? What, what were some of the things your group talked about? All right, I'll take the easy one first. They had to lay a firm foundation. Had to lay a great foundation, right? It starts with the foundation. You know, you know, you didn't see, notice they didn't frame up the house before they built the foundation, right? I mean, the foundation had to be laid. But even prior to building the found, putting the foundation, the, the, you notice that they had to get the ground all, uh, you know, fixed just perfect before that foundation could be laid. Yeah. So good. What else? You have to have a blueprint. A blueprint. Before the foundation is laid. Yes. You've got to know the architect. That's right. You got to know the architect, and you and you need to have a you need to have an idea of a plan of where you're going and how you're going to get there. Yeah, good, excellent. What else? Yes. Uh, workers are necessary to make the project happen. Workers. Yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes, and even in the video, you notice that some of the specialized workers, right? Yeah. You know, they yeah. they have certain gifts and skills and talents. You definitely would not want me doing plumbing if I were. Uh, someone who was doing framing, it could it could look really bad, or you wouldn't want a framer doing your plumbing. Uh, so yeah, excellent. What else? Good observations. What other observations do you see? It takes time. It takes time. Yeah. Now, one of the things you didn't see, but if you've ever built a home, is your you know it takes it doesn't happen overnight. It takes several months, sometimes uh, you know just depending on weather and all of that. It can get a little messy around the, the work site and church as you're building a ministry. It takes time, but it also can get kind of messy at the same time as well, right? Yeah, great observation. Building relationships, too, even the construction company talked about that. Ah, excellent observation. Yeah, relationships. Obviously, a church is made up of, of, of people, right? And, uh, and the importance of relationships and Really, as we'll even talk about uh, in the and more in the in depth in here, is this idea that disciple making happens best in the context of relationships, right? Good. One other one other observation. An external observer, an external observer might say that it's messy, mm. but the people that are working and know the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, you know. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, at Crossroads, as we, if we, as we've been working on this over the last thirty years, uh, we've really made a commitment to be a disciple-making church, not a church with discipleship. And I, I want to make that a very clear distinction. 
We've committed to being a church, a disciple-making church, not a church with discipleship. And so as we think about building a ministry that's built around the context of being a disciple-making church, it looks a lot different than being a church that's built around a discipleship plan. And I'll kind of, kind of keep pulling this out. But what we want to talk about is this idea of how do we really build a disciple-making church? And one of the things that we strongly talk about a lot around at Crossroads is that we believe the church is designed to be a movement of multiplying disciples. Our heartbeat, what we believe Jesus set out from the very beginning, was that the church was to be a movement, a movement of multiplying disciples. In fact, I've heard it best said this way. Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and now he wants the way he wants it to go back to the way he started it. Let me say that again. Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it back the way he started it. And so as you think about that, as we kind of begin to process this idea of being a disciple-making church, what do you think might be the absolute essential ingredients needed in helping you or me or our churches become a picture of what Jesus had in mind of a movement of multiplying disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love uh, eating a great hamburger. Anybody out there like to eat hamburgers? Uh, I, I don't know, maybe not. I, I actually like hot dogs more than I like hamburgers. But uh, what are some of the essential ingredients that you need for a great hamburger? A grill. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to have a grill, right? It starts with a good grill. Yeah, one of those egg ones, right? I, I don't know. I, I don't have one, but I, I hear they're pretty phenomenal, right? What else do you need for, what are some of the other essentials? What would be some of the essentials that you'd want in a great hamburger? Hamburger. Uh, yeah, meat, right? I'm not too into this whole impossible uh, burger they have with, at, at Burger King, right? That non-meat burger. What else? Bun. Got to have a bun, right? Ketchup, mustard, you know, some of those other things. There's, there's some essentials. And just like there are some essentials to building that perfect, amazing burger, like an In-N-Out burger. Anybody had an In-N-Out burger? Oh, man. Uh, You've got to have some essential ingredients. So we're going to talk about what we believe are four very critical essentials to building a disciple-making church. Four critical, essential steps to building and uh, a disciple-making church. And we're going to kind of walk through these four. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. we actually do this as a, as a full-day workshop, and so I'm going to be kind of flying at a pretty fast clip. Uh, but uh, we've got, we see four steps. The first one is this. You have to begin by defining your target. You've got you to know what you're, what you're trying to make, right? We talked a little bit about that, even in the building uh, you got to have a blueprint. you got to know where you're going. you got to define your target. you got to have a strategy. You have to determine your strategy. What's the strategy? Now, obviously, we, we believe that Jesus knew exactly what his target was. We believe Jesus gave us a strategy. So we're going to be working through his model. But then you have to design environments that will help to produce the target as a result of the strategy, Right? And then last but not least is is leaders. You have to develop disciple-making leaders uh, in order to continue to perpetuate a movement of multiplying disciples. Because as you look at the pattern of Jesus, this is what he did. I I don't believe Jesus went went out looking for leaders. He made disciples, and those disciples became what? His leaders of the movement. And so we we like to say you define the target. What is it that you know? What what does a disciple look like? What's the strategy to help us get to that target? What what are the environments that we need to help move people to that uh, to to becoming what Jesus intends for them to be? And then how do we really develop disciple making leaders? Because one of the things that we find a lot as we're working with churches is they don't have a definition of a disciple making leader, let alone a plan and how to develop leaders. Uh, and so we, we, as you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, you'll notice the last part of his entire ministry, almost 15 months of, a la- of, the, of his public ministry, he was spending on leadership development of those 12. So we, we think it's really, really important. 
And again, I go back to this idea. This is not anything we've made up. It's not anything we've created. This is just, this is just right out of the life and the ministry of Jesus. All right? So let's, uh, let's start with this whole idea of, uh, of really, you know, where are we going? We're going to kind of just continue to share what we're learning, and we want to help lead your church to becoming a disciple-making church. So let's talk about this idea of defining your target. Defining your target. Uh, when we talk about defining your target, you're going to hear us talk a lot about at Crossroads, really seeing a fully trained disciple. Look at your neighbor and say a fully trained disciple. Look at that person next to you and say, fully trained. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is really what we believe Jesus defined as a, as a disciple, one who was fully trained. So let me, uh, you'll notice in, in the Gospel uh, of Luke, this is what Jesus said. He said, a disciple, a student, is not above his teacher. But when everyone, when he is what? Fully trained. Will be like his teacher. That word fully trained isn't fully matured, but is what it really is saying is when a, a disciple is capable of doing what the teacher does, then he will be like his teacher. And so this idea that we uh, are really focused on uh, at Crossroads and, and what we encourage churches is, have you defined your target? Do you know what that target looks like? And what we would encourage you is not to set your own target, but to look at Jesus' target and say, are we making fully trained disciples? Are we making fully trained disciples? You know, it's hard to hit a target if you can't see it, right? Uh, it's really hard to hit a target when you can't see it. In fact, you have, so therefore you have to clearly define it. I don't know if you're much of a, of a Charlie Brown fan. Anybody here love Charlie Brown? There's a there's a comic strip with Charlie Brown. He's out one day and uh, he's got a, some a bow and an arrow, and he's shooting these bows and arrows at a fence. And uh, his good friend and antagonistic friend, mostly Lucy, walks up and asks Charlie Brown what he's doing. Charlie Brown says, "Well, I'm." shooting arrows, and she goes, oh, and, and then he walks up to the fence, and he begins to uh, paint bullseyes around the, the, you know, where he's been shooting, uh, where he's been shooting the arrows, and he's putting bullseyes, and she says, Charlie Brown, what in the world are you doing? He says, I'm shooting bullseyes, you know, and I think sometimes in churches, that's exactly what we do, because we don't understand what our target is, and so then what we do is we shoot an arrow, and we hope that that might be what it looks like, and then we go, and we paint a target around, and we go, we think that might be what it is. But I am convinced that Jesus knew exactly what the Father wanted him to produce. And that was a fully trained disciple. Now, how we've been working that out at Crossroads, and again, this is as we've been looking at the scriptures and what we see uh, as, as evidence, as, as markers in the life of Jesus, and then what we see in the life of his disciples, we've, we define a fully trained disciple uh, this way. We say that a fully trained disciple is an M7 disciple. We see seven marks of a disciple uh, demonstrated in the life of Jesus and then also demonstrated in the life of his disciples. And then we see those dis demonstrated in the other, in their disciples. And so, again, this is just some ways that we've couched it in a, in a way that works for us. But we say that there are seven identifiable marks of a disciple. The first mark that we see is a, is a disciple is a member. We talk about being a member, not only a member of the universal body of Jesus, but also a member of a local expression of God's, of God's people. Uh, and this idea that we're supposed to, as we walk into and become a, a, a follower of Jesus, we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, we become a, a member of God's universal body. But then we also have this idea that we want to help people begin to become, have a place to belong into the body, the local body of expressions of, of, of God's people so that they have a place to, to become a fully trained disciple. So that first part of our target is a disciple. I mean, is a disciple is a member. The second mark that we're looking for, the second uh, piece of the target is a disciple is a magnifier. Is a magnifier. In other words, they're one who who honors the Father. 
there's an expression of, of bringing great delight, great honor, great praise towards the Father, both publicly, in public expression, but also in private expression as well. And so we work diligently to help our people learn how to, to worship publicly and understand the importance of being a part of, of, a, of an ongoing regular public gathering, uh, a large group weekend gathering, the importance of that and being a part of that. Did you know that the average attendance right now of someone who's coming to church is 1.6 Sundays a month? We're, we're working to try to eradicate that because we believe that there's something, as you look into the Gospels, as you look into the book of Acts, it says that they gathered regularly. Uh, Jesus, we're told, uh, when he went to the temple, it was his regular practice. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're really trying to encourage uh, through this idea of defining our target to really help them have public, but then we also work very diligently to help them know how to have private worship. The church is really good at telling people what to do, unfortunately, but very poor in the idea of how to help them put that into practice. And so one of the things that you'll hear us say a lot about is helping to put resources and tools and training your disciples on how to do both public and private worship. The, set, the third mark we talk a lot about is this mark of maturity, maturity, maturing. We want them to, to, to grow and to become like Christ. Uh, and, and in order to do that, we feel like they've got to do it around other people. Uh, we say that you cannot become like Christ. You cannot reach your full redemptive potential apart from, from being around other people and being in a group where you can be encouraged and inspired and, and challenged and held accountable and, 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 and really, uh, really help to move forward in becoming all that Jesus would want you to be and being this fully trained disciple. But the fourth mark that we have is, is the mark of a minister. And this is where we focus on really helping them understand that it's not about me, but it's uh, as, as I'm growing as a disciple, as I'm growing in, my, in these marks, that I'm understanding that really truthfully and honestly, uh, I, God's heart and desire for me is that I'm others-oriented, right? That I, I have a heart to serve. I have a heart to, to put others before myself. I'm, I, I recognize my time is not my time. It's God's time, and I, I want to I minister uh, on behalf of Jesus, and we, we work really hard to help them do this. Then our, our, our next mark is the disciple is a manager. Everybody say manager. 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 And here we focus on really three things. Time, treasure, and talent. Time, treasure, and talent. Uh, we we, we, we want to help uh, these disciples learn how to, 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 you, to see their time, not as their time, but as whose time? God's time. And, and are they making the most of the time that God has given them as stewards of God's kingdom, right? Uh, we talk about their body, their temple. Uh, we, we talk about this idea of that God's given us a, a temple, and how are we taking care of that temple? Are we using that temple in a way that honors him and brings him glory and honor and delight? Are, are, we, are we managing our, our, our bodies in a way that would really glorify God? Uh, the next the next part of that manager is uh, your talent. Are you utilizing the way that God's wired you, skilled you, tr uh, gifted you, put talents in you for a reason and a purpose? And are you leveraging that uh, in a way that brings God glory and honor? Uh, the next one is uh, a messenger. We believe that uh, with all our heart that um, part of being an, an M7 disciple is someone who is regularly and uh, sharing with others who Christ is in them and how they can know who Jesus is personally. Uh, and so we, we believe strongly that, that uh, being a messenger is an absolute necessary piece of being a fully trained disciple. And the last one is multiplying. Because here's what, what if you look in the scripture and you look at what Jesus did and you look at what their disciples did, they were about not keeping it to themselves, but then passing it on so that the others would pass it on. We like to say, and I think you've heard it over and over since you've been here uh, these last few days, this idea of making a disciple who does what? Makes, Makes a disciple. Uh, and so we, we really are, are 
focused on helping our people in our church in this M7 lifestyle, learning how to begin to leverage those in their circle of, of, of influence to help them become an M7 disciple. So our target is a fully trained disciple. Everybody say fully trained disciple. Our crossroads is defined that out as an M7 disciple. Let's see how, how many of the M's you can remember without even looking here at the deal. What's the first M? Member. What's the second M? Magnifier. Magnifier. What's the third M? Maturing. Maturing. Yeah. What's the third? What's the fourth? Minister. Minister. What's not, what's the fifth? Managing. 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 Yep. What's the sixth? Messenger. And our, our last one? Multiplier. So again, we would encourage you as church leaders, do you know your target? Or are you doing what Charlie Brown did and shooting an arrow and then walking up and painting a bullseye and saying, I, I think that might be what we're trying to hit. We believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was locked in and knew exactly what the Father wanted him to produce. And if you look at his life and you look at his disciples' life and you look at the lives of those disciples, you see some of these evidence. Now, obviously there's probably... Many, many more, but these help define out those marks of a disciple, of a fully trained disciple. So, again, the first step is to what? To define your target. All right, everybody say target. Target. Look at the person next to you and say target. Target. Yeah, you got to define your target. Second step to doing uh, to doing this is you have to determine. Your strategy. You have to determine your strategy. What's your strategy for helping to produce, in, in our case, a fully trained disciple? What would be your strategy for making an M7 disciple? And so again, not our strategy, but as you go and you do, as you look in the life of Jesus, you see that Jesus had four very clear challenges in helping people move from untrained to fully trained. Again, uh, you see that, uh, and, uh, and this is what we see in John chapter 20, verse 21. It says, Peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus wasn't haphazard. He knew exactly what the Father wanted him to produce, and therefore, because he knew what the Father wanted him to produce, he developed a strategy to help move people from untrained to fully trained, to sent out, ready to make a difference in the world. So how this works at, uh, at Crossroads uh, is we talk about moving untrained, disconnected people, people who are far from the Father, who are, who are lost, uh, who don't know who Jesus is in a personal relationship with him. They are distant. Uh, we talk about we want to reach out. In other words, when Jesus, and again, this goes back to Jesus' strategy, Jesus, in, in, uh, if you look at what he did, he uh, constantly was involving himself with people who were, who were far from, from God. Who are some people that we know that Jesus interacted with who were, who were not in a right relationship with, with the Father? Mary Magdalene. Yep, Mary Magdalene. Zacchaeus, tax collectors, Matthew. I mean, you can go on and on and on. But Jesus spent time with people who were far from the, from the Father. In fact, what he did with those whom he interacted with who were far from the Father, he would often say, come and see. Come and see. Come and see who I am. Come and, come and explore who I am. Come and see if I am who I really am. He would say, come and see. And so we like to say, we want you to reach out. Who are you reaching out? And so we're encouraging our, uh, our, 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 our People in our church and that whole M7, part of that messengers, who are they reaching out to? But we're going to be a church that's going to, to work to reach the lost in our community. We are engaged in our community. In fact, we talk a lot about the fact that we, if our church were to be taken out for some reason of our community, our community would say, where is Crossroads Church? And we work very hard to figure out how can we best reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we encourage our people to be involved in that. The second part of our strategy is we want to plug them in. 
This is where Jesus says, come follow me, right? This is that second challenge where Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and learn from me. Come, come begin to take on the, the character and the, and, and the qualities that I have. Your, the, I want to teach you how to really follow me, how to grow and become like me. And that's exactly what we're doing in our, our strategy as well. And then he took time to, then we, we say our, our third part of the strategy is to build up. Everybody say build up. Build up. Yeah, we want to build them up. Uh, we want to help them now be able to be getting ready to be launched and equipped to go out and to be sent and released uh, to be a disciple who makes a disciple. And then the last part of our strategy is to be sent out to be fully trained in seven disciples. So again, this is how we, we so we've defined our target. Our target is to, is to, uh, to be a fully trained disciple. So we, how do we get, take people who are untrained to helping them become fully trained? We reach out, we plug in, we build up, and we send out. And again, it's not our strategy, but it's whose strategy? Jesus' strategy. It's a strategy that Jesus used in taking people who were untrained and helping them to become a fully trained disciple. And if you were to come to Crossroads, you would uh, begin to see that some of the, the events and the programming we do fits in with each of these pieces to help us move people through this process. So in other words, reach out. We, every, we have several outreach events that we do on a regular basis, not so that we can just have an outreach event for that purpose, but we're also engaging our people and teaching how to do on-the-job training and to get involved in those pieces and doing that. Uh, and, and then beginning to invite their family and their friends and those that are in that we're partnering with them to reach, reach our community and to reach our friends and our neighborhood in that. We also encourage them to be involved in, in conver- gospel conversations. Uh, if you come to our church, we have a huge, in all of our campuses, we have these huge displays. And as they're sharing the gospel, one of the ways that we encourage them to, to uh, is a way to say, hey, I'm, I'm involved and I'm sharing the gospel is we have ping pong balls. And they write the name of people that they've had a gospel conversation and they drop that ping pong ball in our, our big displays. And we get to watch as that thing grows year by year. And then if they come to Christ, we have another ping pong ball. And if, if they get baptized, then we have, in fact, they get baptized, we baptize them, we hand them a ping pong ball right as they come up out of the water. And we go say, Go take it, and then we, they'll come in after they're done being baptized, and they'll drop those ping pong balls in, in that uh, the display. Because we want to help people begin to see a visual of what? Going from untrained to what? Fully trained. As they get involved in a small group, they have another ping pong ball they drop in there. And so you have this huge display of all these different ping pong balls because they're beginning to take steps towards becoming like Jesus. And that's, again, not like us, but we want to help them become more and more like Christ. So again, our strategy is to reach out, plug in, build up, and send out. That's our target. So our, our third step is designing environments uh, that will help people move from untrained to fully trained. So what's the first ingredient to becoming a disciple-making church? Target. Yeah, defining your target. Everybody say, define your target. I'm yeah. Sec- what's the second step? Yeah, know your strategy. And our third step is designing the right environment to make an impact. So, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, hey, come follow me. Come, and then now he says in this this next environment, I want you to remain with me, be with me. And so we work really hard to help people get into the right environments that will be conducive to helping them become more and more like Jesus. So again, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And he appointed twelve whom he also named his apostles. But this is what I want you to see. So it says that they might what? That they might be with him. Everybody say with him. And we believe that it, it takes it takes a group of people to help us with a with a very intentional leader to help us become more and more like Christ so that he might be sent out to preach. So when we think about designing uh, a small group, we want to design, we believe that the best environment for people to become an M to seven disciple is in a small group. 
but not just in any small group, a very intentional small group, a very intentional small group, a small group that's going to help produce what we're looking for it to produce. Uh, Jesus created these environments uh, for his men, and it was in a small group that Jesus' disciples went from untrained to fully trained and became world changers. Now, there are four pieces in our small group environment that we work really hard to see happen. The first one you'll see up here is content. Everybody say content. You know, everybody says, well, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. We think tools matter a whole lot. Now, it's only one piece, but we think that the tools are important because a tool is going to help you help them move from point A to point B, right? Uh, you think about this in, 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 a, in a school setting. You know, do, you, do uh, kindergartners learn algebra in kindergarten? No, right? Do, do 12th graders learn the ABCs? You see, so there is this progressive element. And if you even look at Jesus as he's moving his 12 through, you see his teaching even begins to change. It's this spiraling effect. He says a lot of the same things, but he's adding layers and, and, and really pushing it down more and more. So we believe content is an important piece to creating the right small group environment. Now, this is how really how impact got started. Because what happened was about 25 years ago, as our senior pastor was really looking about saying, okay, if we're going to make M7 disciples and, 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 and content is going to be a piece of this, how do I help move uh, our, our, our people towards becoming what Jesus wants them to be? And unfortunately, he was really striking out at finding that and trying to help create this character and this conduct of Jesus and, and, and helping to see these marks displayed. So uh, he began to write a, a material that would be uh, what we now use at Crossroads. And it's what we call the Essential Series. And so as people are coming into our church, we begin to move them into a small group, and we have what we call our core curriculum. And each one of these books helps, our, helps these new people move towards this idea of being uh, plugged in and to help them get uh, into this idea of really learning how to follow Jesus and to grow in Jesus. And uh, this is the tool we use. Mikey, is there anything you want to say about this? Unless you just want to walk through each one of them. Well, you want, why don't you walk through them real quickly? Because Mike, Mike used to be our small groups pastor. He's now changed positions. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But Mike really deals a lot with this at our church. So we usually start our small groups off with uh, a, just a simple four-week one on, on called Small Group Essentials. And so just basically, uh, we always say that it, we, we tell the leader, what, what, this, what, what this will do for you is it will help you lay the tracks down for your group, what kind of group you're going to be. Uh, then there's faith essentials, which is just simply uh, doctrine, what we believe, uh, salvation, eternity, God, Jesus, all those things. Uh, spiritual growth essentials is probably, the, I, I, I would probably move from small group to spiritual growth next, um, because this talks about assurances of salvation, baptism, you know, what is it? How do you pray? How do you have a quiet time? Those basic things like that. Then maybe move them into faith. And, and then Bible essentials is nothing more than just an overview of the Bible. Uh, I didn't really have an uh, overview of the Bible until I went to seminary <laughs> and uh, took Bible survey. And well, that's what this is. And uh, in fact, uh, I just led this in, in a group that I was leading uh, a few months back. And one of the guys in that group said, he, I never knew some of those things about the Bible. It was so helpful for me to understand how the Bible is put together. So that's what that's about. Church Essentials is really all about what, what you're hearing up here when, when Glenn was talking about the strategy a while ago. It's, it's explaining this is how we do ministry and this is how Jesus did ministry. Life Essentials is living according to the Great Commandment and Great Commission. So that's all this is about uh, Great Commandment, Great Commission, being and building disciples. Discipleship Essentials is straightforward right through the seven M's, the M7 disciple, all seven of them. And then Ministry Essentials is is just simply you're serving, what, how you're gifted, you know, where do you plug in, all, all that kind of stuff. How do you use your gifts for God's kingdom? So it's a, it's a great curriculum, and uh, we just encourage all these groups to get started there um, and then uh, move on to the next thing, which I'm sure he's going to talk to you about that. But that this is it. We have them available on the table outside. Yeah. There are seven of those. There, so, Mike, one, I think there are there's eight, eight right here. Um, so there's not a book well, I was going to show you. So as they move out of that, we move them into what's called the M7 project, which is each of those seven 
helping them develop it as a lifestyle. So they work through each of those M7, they work through each one of the seven marks. They're a week long, uh, but uh, well, there's, there's eight of them. There's an introduction, uh, introductory uh, week, and they work through it for four weeks, and you meet once a week, uh, and you work through each one of those M's uh, as a part to make sure it's, and then you have accountability questions at the end of every unit to help you make sure that they're beginning to be developed as a lifestyle. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. So this that would be this M7. So after they go through that core curriculum, we then encourage the groups then to move next into this piece right here. All right? Uh, and so, again, content is super, super important as a part of what, what we're moving people through. Then we also say another important element is contact. Everybody say contact. contact. Yeah, contact is just this relational element that we're doing life together. Uh, it's not done in a classroom, that we're, we're doing life things together. I, the guys I'm pouring my life into don't just show up to have our meeting every week that we're getting together with, but we're also doing some, a lot of life together during that, that season of time that we're together. We're, we're, uh, I, in fact, you know, we're doing ministry projects together. Some of them have traveled overseas with me. Some of them have uh, been on, we do ministry projects together. We do outreach. Uh, one of the ways that we help them develop being a messenger is a couple guys I'll say, hey, who's on your hit? Because we talk about people that are on your impact list. And so we'll say, hey, let's have lunch with them and let's share the gospel with them as you're beginning to develop. And so we're working that back and forth, but it goes both ways. So we have a lot of contact. But we also have what we call context. And context deals with this ministry element and helping them get into environments that are going to help them experientially put these things into practice. And you'll notice that in our, our M7 project, we give, there are certain projects that groups can do that are in there that can help them put these things into context. Does that make sense? Right? And then the last one is correction. And if you'll notice, Jesus did this really well with his disciples and in their small group. There were times when they needed to be corrected, right? And rebuked and, and, and really encouraged to get, to get, to come back to uh, this idea of living on mission and living in in, 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 in light of the mission and alignment. So we have four key critical elements in designing our small group environment. Content, contact, context, and correction. All right? That is what helps us begin to drive the strategy and, and, the, the, and, and the target uh, so that we, see, that we really see people move from untrained to fully trained. So the last step... Uh, in uh, our, our deal is to develop leaders. Yeah. So uh, we have, um, we have the, the third step is our environments, and our last step is, uh, is you need to have uh, a strategy for developing leaders. Developing leaders, what we call 315 leaders. One of the things that we often find is when we ask, because we hear this a lot, people will say, hey, we need, when we ask, what's the number one need of the church? People say to us, we need more leaders. And what we say at Crossroads and what we encourage those churches that we're coming alongside and helping is that you have all the leaders uh, that you could ever need. If you'll make disciples, then God will raise up the right kinds of leaders to do what needs to happen. Don't make leaders, make disciples and out of disciples will come disciple-making what? Leaders. This is the thing I see the church, we, we do in, in, in kind of in the wrong order. Uh, we, we, when a guy comes in, becomes or a woman comes in, they become a, a follower of Jesus, and we kind of have them going through some things, and we jump them right over into leadership, and, and they've not been developed into a disciple and, and helping them become a fully trained leader. So what we define as a leader is found out of Jeremiah 3.15. It's a great text that says this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you, and the knowledge and understanding. So we define a leader at Crossroads as someone who has a heart after God. In other words, their mission is to be and build disciples of Jesus Christ. Then we say they have the right knowledge, uh, and that's that they have a knowledge to, to live like Jesus, to lead like Jesus, and to uh, leverage their influence like Jesus. And then they have the right understanding this is where we say 
uh, the understanding that they have is they have the ability to share, they have a shared mission, a shared strategy, and a shared, and a shared passion. And that's what we work really diligently on, on developing our leaders. And we have a tool called 315 Leadership that is you being identified people who are now going to become leaders in, your, in, in the church to help them to make sure that they're developing, uh, that they've developed a heart after God, they're leading with knowledge, and they're leading with the right understanding. Because here's what we, we say at Crossroads. If you, will, if you will have leaders that have the right heart, the right understanding, and the right knowledge, you will get the what? The right results. The right results. So, let me just kind of wind up this uh, for you for just a second. If Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, the question is this. Is your church operating the way he started it? Is it a disciple-making church? Is it, are you helping it to become a movement of multiplying disciples? Again, if, you're, if we're going to uh, be a church that is a, a disciple-making church, really there are four key essentials. Define your target, determine your strategy, design the right environments, and what? Develop leaders. And, and again, that's lifted right out. It's not anything Crossroads developed. It's just lifted right out of, the, out of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Any questions that I can help answer? I have a question. Yes, sir. Uh, since you said your church was a laboratory, what percentage of people that attend your church follow this strategy all the way? Yeah, so I would say, I would say roughly, probably, uh, so what percentage of people are, are following all the way through this strategy? Yeah, I, I would say probably, we have probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% of our people uh, have followed all the way through, you know, because they're at differing sure. points and parts of the process. You know, people leave because they have get transferred or they move on. But we, we see a great number of our people work through the process. Now, not everyone will be a leader, but they can be a disciple maker, but they may not be a disciple making leader. But we see a, 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 a generally a very high percentage of people go all the way through. And uh, other than people that just leave, Mm-hmm. Just curious, what happens to the dropout? To the people who drop out? So you know, we in in and when you say drop out, what do you what do you mean? What happens to them? What do you? I mean, they become you know. I mean, most churches you, you have church attenders, right? But few people who are church engaged, right? I'm just curious, you know, because that's the struggle. Yes, you know, I mean, it's often I think in my mind we confuse disciple-making as evangelism. Evangelism right. is only bringing the baby home. Right. Then you got to have the baby grow from an infant to a, yes. an adult. Yeah. That, that is a messy process. I'm just going to straighten that out. Yes, yeah, so I, I guess your question is, is how do we help people who are unengaged to continue to be, uh, to be, be engaged? And we constantly are communicating this uh, through our, our, our large group experiences. We, we, we preach a lot on disciple-making. We, we talk a lot about at Crossroads getting involved in a small group. We are highly engaged in trying to get people into small groups because we think once they get into a right kind of small group environment, they'll begin to, uh, to really engage. And so we do a lot of things to try to assimilate them as quick as we can into a small group. Yes, sir. Uh, can you give a quick, a quick overview of the mechanics of how this looks? So you bring a person in and they... How often are you starting new groups? Do they go through that whole essential series with that mm -hmm. group? Yep. Do they split up and go into a different group? Yeah, so we, we do, and those are some of our, so what, uh, what systems are, you're basically asking what systems do we have to help move people through. Uh, yeah, how long do they stay with the group? Just what does it look like? Working? Yeah, so what does it look like? So what it looks like for us is, uh, you know, it, uh, if someone comes into kind of our, our crowd our crowd event, which is our weekend services, uh, and we're encouraging them to get involved in our next steps classes. It's our next steps classes that introduce them to this idea. If they're not already, you know, a lot of them may be involved in a relationship, so they're already going to get someone inviting them to a small group, right? 
But if they don't, we invite them to a next steps. Those next steps happen every month. And every month we're encouraging and then from that people getting them, we're getting them plugged into a group that will get them moving in this process. Yeah, it take and it generally takes about it generally takes about twelve to eighteen months. So they're in one group that whole time. Generally, not 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 uh, not perfect. I wish it. I mean, it's still messy. And it it has its, you know, it's not a perfect system. But yes. So does that group then stay together, or do they disperse into other groups, or what's the strategy going beyond that point? Yes. Yeah, so sometimes those groups will continue. Okay. Uh, but what we always, we, and, and Mike could probably have talked to a lot about this, but we encourage those groups to then multiply and to form other groups so that we can continue to do it. And that's why we try to keep it at about 18 to 24 months is because we think that that mark is a really good piece to getting them to multiply. If they stay together for, if they don't multiply after about 24 months, then they tend to become a holy huddle. And that's not what we're, we're working for and towards. And we, we do a lot with our small group leaders to train them on the importance of it. And we talk a lot about the idea that, hey, when your group launches right away, we're, we're going to be multiplying. At, and, and we talk about that up front so there's an expectation of that already. So the size of those groups, your question is what size are those groups? Those groups are usually generally about 8 to 10, sometimes 12. And it, I didn't hear anything. There's no one-on-one. So most of our groups are not one-to-one, and we, we have um, some, not that they can't be, but we, we feel like that the best environment is for there to be uh, more, than one, more than a one-to-one uh, environment like that. We, we think they work best when there's more people in that group, because then there's not an issue of interdependency on one person or the other. A lot of times the M7 groups that come out of the essential groups will be uh, smaller in size. So an essentials group might be a dozen people, um, and then if uh, there's some that need to go into the leadership development track and say, okay, let's, let's go through M7 project, then that group might you know, be one on three, one on four. You know? I lead an M7 group, I got two guys in it, there's three of us. Are they men and women? So uh, our, our essentials groups can be couple-oriented, yes, but when we get into more of our, our M7 groups, those end up becoming more, more gender-specific, men with men and women with women. We really encourage that. We think for that to be uh, more, more effective, we've seen that to be more effective that way. Have you consolidated, um, oftentimes you would have the starting step, starting point, whatever you call that, and you would maybe go into a membership track. Have you consolidated that into the e, into the e series where every life group has started? It's basically a this is what we expect of followers of Christ who are part of this body. You so know, you you cannot you can so you're asking what are some of those expectations of to helping them get going in? So we say in our membership process, you cannot even even become a member of Crossroads apart from being in a small group. Right. Oh, that's that's what I thought. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's combined though. Because we, it's not, tracks, it's not because we're trying to police people, it's that we're trying to help them move into becoming an M7 disciple. Sorry, maybe I'll So, um, you go through the core curriculum, there's a slight group of those that go into M7 leadership. That's a 10 to 12 group, and then it's down to 2 to 3. What do you have as next steps for those that aren't going directly into M7? Yeah, that's a great question. You want to answer that, Mike? Because I can, I can answer it, or you can answer it. It's up to you. No. So the question is, what do you do with the groups that don't go into M7? So um, some of them just continue on, and they they, they become study groups, uh, sermon-based discussion groups, um, that sort of thing. So um, or they may do a study of some kind. So. Or we have, you know, we have a lot of these other materials that we... And yeah, there's, these are just, you know, the one, the essential groups, the M7 project, 315, it's all part of our discipleship process. Um, but we have umpteen other resources that uh, our pastor has written um, that just all groups can do. And, uh, and then there's always the sermon discussion guide that's available every weekend. Uh, but then some other groups decide to do studies, like maybe more something what we're all familiar with. But what we always encourage is that leader who's leading that group is to be pushing people towards M7. 
because we want them to be a multiplier at some point. And we're always encouraging. We know that they may not be ready, but we, we keep encouraging that as a part of that process. Cross-generational? Oh, sorry. Oh, hang on just a second. Is the expectation that after in seven, they are then leading a small group? Yes. That is, so the expectation are after the M7 process that they're leading another group. And we would say, yes, we would want them to be engaged in it because that's that that begins to help them become that multiplier as well as as a messenger. And, you know, because they're living that hopefully that M7 lifestyle. But, yes, we would like to see them become that. So in your mind or in your church, that's kind of the behavioral marker of a multiplier is, say, them being a small group. Uh, not necessarily. So yes, we want them to hopefully be have a heart to lead, but we also know sometimes they want to get involved in other 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 areas of ministry. So we would say the mark of a multiplier, yes, is one who's probably leading someone through a group, but they're also utilizing their gifts and their talents in places that, that God's wired and made them passionate about. So, for instance, you know, I could be leading an M7 group, but I'm I know that it's about pouring my life. I've got five guys that I'm doing an M7 group with. But I'm, as I'm trying to help them, uh, some of those guys, are. my goal is that they'll reproduce themselves, uh, maybe with a guy they win to Christ or whatever. Uh, but I, my, a lot of my guys are volunteering in other areas like student ministry and other places that they're, they're involved with. Just, I think, cross-generational of the groups, the question is, is are the groups cross-generational? And no, they are not cross-generational. We do work with our student ministry and, 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 and to help our students do these same, uh, same things uh, and promote these same values, these same marks as a disciple. Uh, and so our student ministry works towards that end. Uh, and they're in, they have their own, what they call crews. And those crews are working through uh, maybe not uh, with this curriculum, uh, but they do work through helping those students think about how am I becoming an M7 disciple myself. But in the adult group? No, they are not in adult groups. No, no, I mean, within the adult portion of the church, yes. are those generations in groups together, or do you have all millennials, all boomers? Ah, so we, I mean, we have, so our, our groups, uh, our groups can be multi-generational in that, in that regard, yes, some, we do have some that are, we have some that are affinity-based, that are based with, we, we, we don't, we don't push it heavy, hey, you got to get engaged in, a, in an affinity group, but we have some that are affinity-oriented, we have some that are, uh, that are multi-generational, they have older all the way to young, it just, we, we really work hard in helping them find a group that fits their, their context best. And then we then implant that content to move them forward in that, in that pathway. Yes, sir. Can you expand on that a little bit more on how that determination of assigning them to that initial ascension group is made? Is there a list of different groups or group leaders or whatever? So if you, so that's a great question. How do we help people get connected to a group? Uh, so when we bring them through our next steps process, uh, they have a staff member that serves as their guide and helps them in the process of finding a group that would best meet their needs based on where they live or their infinity, uh, or as we're launching new groups, then we help guide them towards those groups. Yeah, so we don't we don't do that. We don't insert them at that point. Okay. Yeah, we we would want to insert them uh, into groups where we know where they're starting at that. That's why they have a guide that helps them find a group that's going to begin the process or a new group that's getting started. We we work with them to find out where we can get them, and we do a lot of assessment to help them know where to get started. Okay. So each month as that's happening, you're, you've got leaders prepared take on those that's the plan yep yeah that's the plan yeah it doesn't it, it gets messy sometimes we have to sometimes hold some folks off for just a bit but then we work to get them get them in a group as soon as as, as we can 
One last question, if I may. Yeah. A lot of us, I mean, you're a disciple-making church. You guys got this as oiled as you can, but a lot of us are flipping older models or, or, or trying to be a disciple-making church. Can you speak of how much, at least in your adult programming or, or the things you're asking of adults, you know, like are you Sunday school, you Wednesday night meal kind of, you know, the traditional kind, are you still having all those at your church or are you more just real? We're real locked in. At, so, you know, the question is, is hey, how uh, how you maybe take a, tra a traditional model and begin to, to form it into maybe a little bit of what we're at. So I'll just, the story of Crossroads is it was started as a disciple-making church. So we were able to rot away. Now, I've been a part of churches where we've been more existing, and then we moved to becoming a disciple-making church. And what we were doing in those situations, we were parallel tracking things, getting where we wanted to go, getting it up and going, and then slowly beginning to eliminate other things so that the, the, that the pathway could get more clear and stronger but that takes some time and some steady leadership and constant evaluation and and helping people move to where you want to be because what i never encourage is in an existing situation is to blow up the existing piece and then launch the new piece because it'll 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 never fly that way so i always encourage start with you know if you want to go a different pathway to a disciple-making pathway, start to begin to build that second track, and it takes a little bit of extra work, and build that, and then over time, you'll be able to take those pieces of the track out so that it moves people to where you want them to go. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah. That's, that's a great question, too. All right. I'm sure we're at time, all right? Thanks, guys. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out Winfield Bevan's ebook that we mentioned at the top of this episode. You can find it at discipleship.org/ebooks and look for Multiplied Disciples. Thanks for listening.